0: Welcome to The Catch-Up, a podcast where we bridge psychology, linguistics, and mythology to provide communication tools that fit your mind. I'm Neil.
1: And I'm Melissa. I'm a linguist and author with a concentration in discourse analysis. I also study and write about applied mythology and its effects on our ability to relate to ourselves and others.
0: And I have 10 plus years of experience in the field of psychotherapy. I write about the myths we all have in our mind and their effects on our everyday behavior.
1: This podcast brings together our respective fields so we can see what goes on in our minds, both socially and personally, so we can have the tools to communicate our way through any experience with understanding.
0: Be sure to head over to patreon.com slash meal, M-E-I-L, or meal.podbean.com to check out our patron programs and view the patron tiers. For just $4 a month, you'll become a top tier supporter and gain access to all of our current and future bonus episodes and content.
1: Thank you so much for your support. Now let's catch up.
0: So today we're going to talk about those taboo topics, those categories of concern that show up a lot nowadays, especially when we're talking about uncomfortable conversations, and those include things like religion, race, politics, human rights, all that good stuff.
1: So we'll be talking about How to talk about these things, why it's important to talk about these things, how you can go about it delicately but also assertively, and how to finesse the conversation in order to actually make progress because what we've learned, especially recently, is that if you don't talk about something, the division gets worse, and when the division gets worse, the conversation becomes more difficult to have because you can't really see the middle ground anymore. So, let's dive in.
0: When you bring up things like division, uh, to me, what comes to mind is lack of vision or a contaminated vision of what is really going on. People are making up new phrases or kind of recycling phrases like shared reality, shared facts. And those are wonderful. Um, But the idea is how can we dig a little deeper, invite other people to go a little bit deeper in the depths of our consciousness with us, so that we can move alongside one another, kind of that we said this in the first season, but live in parallel lives. So we can. I hey, just want to get along a little better. Attitude, as opposed to um, certain categories are all right or all wrong. We can make it all right again.
1: And one thing that happens that we've seen recently, when we stop talking about things, you know, when we see someone mimicking a certain rhetoric or employing a certain type of rhetoric is, and we say to ourselves, oh, I don't really want to dive into that conversation. And we sit back, what we get is kind of extremist views from any end of a conversational spectrum. We get these really extremist views that then become nearly unreachable because anybody who tries to kind of bring you out of that then is absolutely wrong rather than just, I disagree with them. And it becomes really dangerous because we dig our heels in and then we start spouting kind of propagandized rhetoric or harmful rhetoric, whatever the case may be, and then it's harder to reach because then there's a mental block there. So it's always better to have the conversation earlier and it's better to have the conversation with empathy and understanding, not with the goal to change, but with the goal to create understanding because that's always going to be the building block For creating progress
0: with that the key obviously is understanding that the average is stable the average of us has some level of balance we're the ones keeping the teeter-totter from flipping over so we can be a little bit louder speak out a little bit further think of us as that flock of geese we got to have somebody manage in the middle and the outsides the margins but painting the entire picture so we know where everybody's at and how we can kind of draft off of each other, use our wings appropriately. And if we have some injuries, well, we got to slow down, heal that up so we can actually move as want.
1: So let's start out with the topic of religion, because as we know, across time, religions, world religions have many commonalities, one of which is virgin births. You see this in a lot of religions all over the world. There's a concept of a virgin birth. Now, and I talk about this in my book, Mythos, A Map to Myths, Metaphors, and Dreams. So if you've read that, this might be a little repetition for you. But for those of you who haven't, what I discuss in my book is if we have a religion and I am someone who believes that religion literally and I say it can be found in history through archaeological research whatever the case may be I believe it and I adhere to it I'm going to say these things happened a virgin birth happened let's say now if I am someone who doesn't necessarily believe in the religion but I believe the story of the religion more like as a mythology a collective story that tells a society kind of how to conceptualize life and death and everything in between. I can use that religion as a metaphor, and I can talk about these virgin births, but I can use it as a metaphor to say, yeah, the virgin birth. Meaning, oh, we go through transitions and we go through phases, and we're kind of reborn in that way. Whatever the case may be, either way, the language is the same metaphors use literal language to draw a line between two concepts and make it more readily available in the mind of another and if you have a steadfast belief in a religion then the language is also going to be literal so we can use the idea of that literal language as a jumping point to begin conversations because the language is the same
0: and if the language is the same we can understand that we are all speaking in the same language. So understanding that languages fold and roll into each other over time, certain words die off, certain words evolve their meaning, certain words increase their frequency of use, certain words decrease in frequency of use. So with that being said, I think it's important to again acknowledge, we think it's fine to be an atheist. We also think it's fine to just be spiritual. We also think it's fine to say, this is not my topic or a cup of tea. And so the idea is how can we just create more transcendence because that's what we're all looking to do more often than not, transcend into the next level of ideal self, ideal culture, ideal decision-making that matches our survival needs because everything is based in survival. And especially now with so much missing the mark on our survival odds as collectives. With the shifts in our atmosphere and environment, we have to harness the ability to transcend on a daily basis. And it's a muscle that we can work. It's a muscle we can strengthen. And then it's a muscle we can use more often than not. And it gives us a lot of edge against what's around the corner. We can hit the ball better.
1: And again, we mentioned this in season one, but for those of you who haven't listened to the episodes where we mentioned this, when we talk about mythologies and myths, we don't mean that as in they're false. We mean that as in the stories of a collective or of a group. These are the stories that allow us to kind of conceptualize how we live our lives, conceptualize how we should go about our daily lives, conceptualize what comes after life. So all we mean by that is the stories that we're told, that we tell ourselves, that we pass on to our children, doesn't mean the stories are false. It just means the stories are there and they're there to help us in some way.
0: So now with the Building Blocks Foundation set up, let's use a metaphor, maybe something that most of us are either living in or have an awareness of, a house with a basement. Think about how you feel toward that basement, right? It's underground. It is an entire room or floor of rooms that our brain already maps out when we walk into that house and see the stairs going down. Now, some areas don't have basements, so you can't necessarily always use that metaphor with someone that can't see it. So this is similar to... When you're talking with someone else of another religion, someone of another race, someone of another culture, you can't always say that metaphor is going to match perfectly and pop open their mind so you can move with them in conversation, but you can say, are you aware? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It doesn't look like you do. Or am I making sense? Is this adding up? And so adding up even that phrase, can we look up and let go and walk together or move together in conversation? Is this making sense? We're talking about our senses, our common sense, and then our individual sense of things. It's all embedded in our language, and this is what I talk about in my book, how can we harness the intuitive communication Because our intuitions are showing up in what we say, what we do, what we don't do, what we don't say, and then everything in between.
1: So when you're discussing religions, remember that it is so easy to meet in the middle with language. If you are a non-believer talking to a believer, or if you're a believer talking to a non-believer, whatever the case may be, use the literal language either as a way to conceptualize the lessons that the religion can teach or as a way to explain your belief systems. It's so easy to meet in the middle with language when it comes to discussing religions. And it also really enhances your perspective on the ability to use metaphors. Because metaphors are an extremely powerful linguistic tool when it comes to sharing your mind's eye with someone else. It's the most amazing power we have coming from a linguist.
0: And coming from a non linguist, I would say there's another way to look at ways you're talking. Think of yourself as someone that writes in cursive. Now, they don't even think they teach cursive anymore in a lot of schools. I wish they would. But the idea is when you're speaking with someone, no matter what their background is, no matter how turned off their mind is, or open their mind is, keep in mind that cursive typically opens us up the most. So it has that rhythm, it has that flow, and it kind of, it flies around, it lands, it moves. Cursive does what we need to do more often, which is not just print things in bold or all caps, but be artistic, but speak artistically, especially with folks that are not being artistic because it opens our nervous systems up. And it helps us make those overlaps happen, helps that Venn diagram of race, religion, politics, all these things come together as one so we can see what's really needing to happen. Because a lot of the times the prescribed ways of thinking, those old, incorrective myths, are not congruent with what we need right now. They don't match.
1: So now that we've talked about how we can use language as a starting point for meeting in the middle with a topic like religion, let's transition right on into politics because linguists um have studied political rhetoric for a long time. The linguist that I'm thinking of right now, his name is George Lakoff. He's done some incredible work on left-wing versus right-wing rhetoric and how they deviate from each other, and most importantly, commonalities. For example, he is king of metaphors and metaphor uh, analysis. He looked at Republican rhetoric and Democrat rhetoric, and what he found was, after tracing their metaphors back, was that they were both pulling from a family metaphor. However, the Democratic metaphor of a family Included a mother and father figure that were very nurturing. The Republican metaphor for a family had a, pulled from a family that had a strong father leader figure. So we have the same kind of metaphor that's at the core of these discussions that we're having within politics. However, the picture is just a tiny bit different. But what we know is we can pull from the idea of a family we can pull from that idea and then move ourselves forward together. And even though we'll probably continue to deviate, if we keep the similarities in mind, the deviations most likely will not be nearly as large or nearly as drastic as they have been, especially recently. So it could do with a topic like politics when you're having an uncomfortable conversation with someone who you know doesn't necessarily think the same as you in terms of political belief systems is you can look at this and say, okay, let's talk in metaphors, make it a purposeful metaphor, create your own, and use that language to paint your picture, allow them to go with it and maybe deviate a little bit and see what their picture is. See where the commonalities are and see where you're deviating and then have that conversation.
0: To piggyback off that, look at one of our most favorite shows in our modern times, Modern Family. And the writers there, look at how many metaphors they pack in in each and every second of every episode. So what we're doing is communicating, holding up mirrors for each other and understanding that a lot of people have not made the crossover into understanding the diversity of family now that is happening so many different places. And therefore they have a different dome, a different view, a different um, perspective. And it's either, if you see it this way, more narrow or it's more selective. And so if we can create a better metaphor menu, they can typically see a little better. That's why metaphors pitch us past where we are now so that we can kind of use different tones, colors, use different diversity of figures, carve out what we need to use. And it's not just painting pictures then, it's sculpting new understandings of what we can do multidimensionally. And because a lot of people think multidimensionally but don't know it, you can use that with them to help them. And you can do that with yourself. I think it's the best thing you can do is develop your inner artist, and in doing so, develop your metaphor usage.
1: So if you haven't noticed, Essentially, when you start to look at the language of at least two of these taboo topics, the ones that we've brought up so far, religion and politics, we're all coming from the same place. We just have a variant of the picture in our head. We can't control people's minds. We can only control the conversation so that they understand our mind and we can only try to understand their mind as they're giving us their language and we're giving them ours. So keeping in mind the fact that we can't actually control someone's mind, knowing that we can only control our language and how we progress the conversation forward together, I think it's really easy to see the ways in which we can move forward these conversations into progressive directions together and with less effort than we tend to a lot of times put into them because we're so worried about whether there will be a conflict that takes place.
0: Yeah, because we've been conditioned. Look at how many years we've been conditioning ourselves. And I, of course, got to bring a little sports metaphor in. If you've played basketball or some other sport like that, you run suicides. And it's literally running until you can't breathe. It's back and forth, but you're building out. You're building tolerance. And so what we're seeing here today, I think, is we've finally finished some of the more acute, narrow conditioning. Now we're getting ready for this marathon we're about to go on because we finally have convinced enough people to understand this climate is changing because of the way we're treating the soil, the way we're treating the water, the way we're treating the land, and therefore we have a responsibility to say, well, let's treat this a little differently. Let's make sure we get the artificial additives out, and let's add some depth. Let's get more natural Our Organic ways of speaking are the best ways to get to where we have a more organic society that is treating the trauma that's embedded in our DNA. Everybody has trauma, every family has trauma. Not all of us have PTSD, but most of us have some sort of trauma in our family history and most races have been through a lot. And so what we know is the more we can blend and kind of work with each other as one, kind of in that tandem of congruence, we can create some of those changes further out. Just extension is really what this is about.
1: Now, if we're diving into a topic like race, you know, 2020 brought a lot of things to light that I think should have already been in the light before, uh, but that weren't necessarily being given a light to shine within. We have to have these conversations now more than ever, because what's that famous quote, when you know better, you do better. Now we know better, so we should be doing better. And by we, I mean the majority groups, because I think the minority groups have been trying to scream these things at us for a very long time. When 2020 and its civil rights movements and protests came about, we started reflecting on a lot of things. And we even were re watching some old skit shows and movies and things, and we noticed there were jokes, but not jokes, you know, about the very issues that were being talked about in 2020, the issues that were creating a lot of movements, the issues that were creating a lot of protests and community based activism. They, these communities have been trying to tell us about this for a long time, so I think right now with topics like this is absolutely the time for those of us who have been unknowingly perpetuating some of these systems and ways of thinking that aren't helpful. It's time for us to listen and it's time for us to be able to say, okay, I'm going to take a back seat in the conversation, but I'm going to take a front seat in terms of doing the heavy lifting. I think it's a doable but also a tricky thing To be able to have a conversation about it without dominating the conversation and injecting your own insecurities or your own agendas into the conversation, we do that most by listening. That's the most important part with a topic like this. When you're the one, and we've talked about this in another episode in season two, when you're the one with the power in the conversation, it's super important to take time to listen to the other side of the conversation and say, okay, where have I been interrupting? Where have I been bulldozing? Where have I been being unhelpful? And that'll help even out the power dynamic. And it won't always feel great. You know, it doesn't always feel great to say, okay, I did something wrong. Uh, all right, you know, it's an uncomfortable place to be in, but discomfort is the way that we're going to be able to grow into these healthier, as Neil would put it, corrective streams together.
0: So a little play on words to throw in would be, don't see it as taboo, see it as a little tattoo in the mind. How could we do a little reworking of that, paint a different picture on the arm or wherever that tattoo is in your mind right now, Add some color, make sure the other person understands what the new picture is that you're painting. And as you're painting those corrective myths out there, you're interrupting sometimes their stream of consciousness, stream of thought, which is fine, because that usually means you're affecting the matter in their mind. And therefore you can affect the matters that we're talking about. A lot of the time things are going a certain way because they have to be we're in the rapids or we're in some sort of situation where we need to communicate differently. That doesn't mean you have to lose your mind. In fact, it usually means you have to lose your sense of insecurity so you can adapt to the insecurity that's happening around you. Letting go helps you go with that flow, helps you create momentum, and helps you create some moments that actually make more sense to you and the other person. That's totally what this is about if you think about it. But in a more micro way, it's more about you learning yourself and how you work with the brush, with the frame that you're painting within.
1: And you'll notice how I said the majority community versus minority communities and things like that. The word choice here was very purposeful because, A, I don't want to put anybody on the defensive because I know how hard it is to say, oh, okay, I realize I've been doing something wrong. But it's so important, and I think the more we put people on the defensive, the less likely they're going to be to be able to say, you're right, I was wrong. So if they feel called out, that'll have an immediate effect on how they receive the message. That's the most important part is to have the conversations and understand the why and understand the effect it has. In these micro-conversations, these one-on-one conversations with people about these topics, always say, okay, what could I have done better with my language? What could I have done better with my core ideologies, the ones that I'm not budging on? Do I need to start budging? That kind of a thing. These are the conversations that are so important to have, but that are also often made to be taboo because they have the potential to create waves. But we don't need to be afraid of waves.
0: Now, because we're always in the middle of a wave, whether the wind created it or we did. I think crossing that barrier of literal and metaphorical speech, um, I've found myself, as I've been writing this book for a little over a year, I have found it is powerful to become one with the atmosphere and the weather around you. I know I'm neuroatypical and that I just do it anyway, but teaching each other how to do it, it's, it's useful. Um, you golfers, you know, if you don't know the wind, you don't know where that ball's gonna go. And same thing goes for your life, right? You get told to go a certain way. You don't always know why you're going this way now, but that's, that's what the current in your life, meaning the waves, in your own personal physiology, that stuff showing up for a reason. It's telling you, no mad, don't go mad. And find a way to move with the current, migrate the way you need to. Yeah, life constrains us a lot of the time. I mean, we get pinched in certain ways. We get, we get hurt if we don't go with it. So we have to be aware of the pain that we're going through so we can see which way to go next to just lower the pains and increase the threshold that we have. The frustration tolerance, I think, is key with that. Increase your frustration tolerance with this, because that gives you so much more depth and expanded consciousness with whoever you're talking to, regardless of background. I think the more you're aware of your subconscious in that, it helps.
1: And I absolutely agree with that, being aware of the subconscious and everything, because... You know, we've said before, there's a reason why we have specialties and researchers and scientists and those who dedicate years of their life to studying a very specific topic. Neil and I apply to that. We have our specialties. We know how to analyze the crap out of language use and emotions and cognitive abilities and stories and things like that. But there's also the underlying nuances of culture and society and all of these taboo topics come into play with all of them and how they affect our languages and our mindsets and things like that. So the nuance of it all that affects our subconscious will absolutely come into play all the time. So being aware of that will absolutely be key to progressing these conversations into helpful places.
0: Because it's not psychobabble. In fact, a lot of the times we have to kind of babble our way through stuff. Oh, I could use another little babbling brook your consciousness to where you have uh, ability to clean up the waters of your mind. You hear a lot of swamp metaphors. Well, that's coming from people that are having some foggy visions, not seeing things clearly, fearful of the crocodiles, fearful of the snakes. The images of those landscapes show up for a reason. It's demonstrating feeling. And so if we can paint not just prettier pictures, but ways to say, no, we need swamps. Those are good for our ecosystem. And I mean that literally and figuratively. So you can dance across those lines and show people, well, would you look at that? That's not wrong. And that's where that person's coming from. And then those people are syncing up with it because we're all a microcosm of some group, um, including us, right? Those that are listening to this, you're part of a microcosm of a select group. And depending on how you bridge gaps with other groups, you found ways to code switch, to speak differently, to learn about those people and bond up. In the same breath, some of us disconnect from groups and we cannot bond because of whatever's going on. A lot of times it's the rigidity or the embedded myths in that culture that is a mismatch. So what you're trying to do is just create matches. And that way it's more of a game as opposed to a battle. And when it's more of a game, you can deal with the really, really nasty, horrifying stuff more easily. That's why we create games to get through stuff.
1: And so essentially what we have with these tools, the tools to use language as a starting point to meet in the middle, to look at language and the base of the metaphors and to thoughtfully create metaphors to move forward together. The ability to listen and understand and adjust when necessary. These topics cover a lot of ground, you know, human rights and um, equality and justice and all these things. With all of these, because, you know, these are the traditionally taboo areas you know that you go home and your parents or an uncle says don't bring that up because you don't want to fight with uncle so-and-so or grandma vicky or whoever Um, but we have to make them untaboo because it's the only way we're going to be able to meet in the middle and it's the only way we're going to be able to make progress so with these tools of language and thoughtfulness and flexibility and listening we are going to be able to probably slowly but surely make progress in our conversations and therefore our rhetoric and therefore our level of understanding about what it means to live communally together and have the same goals.
0: Because most communication is offered as rhetoric now. Anyhow, look at how you post something. You're saying it rhetorically. Yeah, maybe you have somebody in mind or you're trying to respond to somebody or you are responding to somebody. But if you really look at it literally most offered communication out loud is rhetorical question or not so what we're doing is tapping our inner philosopher tapping our inner artist so that our rhetoric can be more beautiful create more harmony get those voices heard and if you're overstepping take the feedback make the adjustment make it even better because this is in some ways a one-upping of who we used to be because we have to get better. And the only way to do so is to get on top of our unconscious, on top of our subconscious, and know what they're doing to us coming up and out of us now. Because we're all attached to a spinal cord. We're all attached to our gut health. We're all attached to each other.
1: And we know these tools of metaphor and language and listening and being more thoughtful with how we look at things, we know they work. We've used them in personal conversations with each other, with family and friends. We've seen them play out in our professional works, and our studies and our research. So we know these tools work to enhance our understanding of what it means to have effective dialogues and effective conversations that make progress. We hope you guys find it easier as you go along because it's, you know, it's like any habit, working a muscle, you know, becomes a muscle memory after a while and it becomes less of an effort over time. But we know these are effective and we know that they work.
0: Be mindful of your affect and your effect on each other.
1: <laughs> We've had fun catching up with you today. We look forward to catching up again with you real soon.
0: Catch you on the flip side.